Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Amy Lundy. Joel could not join us today, unfortunately. And uh, Novak Djokovic's run in Belgrade is a valiant one, an eventful one. He loses in the final, however, to Andre Rublev, who's been excellent in 2022. Djokovic uh, got his matches in. I think we went into the week, Amy, thinking... Okay, that's the most important thing. He needs to play matches, but all said and done, he fizzles out at the end. Zooming out here, was that a good week for Novak? Absolutely. It was a good week. Uh, You got to realize the pressure that he's probably under with all the family and friends around and his brother being involved with the tournament. You want to put on a good show for the fans. And he did that. He, He did that until the very last set. You know, a lot was made of the fact that he kept losing the first set. And and that is, um, you know, just by not taking into account the quality of the players, you're you're if you lose the first set, then the person that won the first set has a 75 percent chance of winning the match. That's just straight math. Nothing Mm -hmm. other no other considerations. So um, he was putting himself in the hole a lot, but he dug himself out of the hole. And I thought today's match against Rublev for him to take the second set in a tiebreaker, he showed a lot of good fight, but he, he really was exhausted and gassed in the final set. So he's building, you know, just like you said in the beginning, right before Monte Carlo, he is building towards something and he doesn't want to peak too soon. So while he would have loved to have one in front of the home crowd. I think that um, overall, it was a good week for him. What do you think? I agree. I think it was a, a very, very good week. Um, he played a ton of tennis, which I think will will end up benefiting him in the future. I mean, as far as working out the mind and body and experiencing those three hour slogs and starting to get used to it again, this was a, a perfect week, especially with uh, the Jera match, which could have gone either way. The Ketsmanovic match was uh, a more convincing performance than the Hachinov match was even more one-sided in the second and the third set. Rublev is a step above all those players. And at the end of the day, you're looking at him playing four three-set matches in five days, coming off of what we saw in Monte Carlo, it, it was rather predictable that I, I, I'll just put it this way. Look, if he got through the Rublev match and won the title, I wouldn't have been that surprised, but I'm certainly not surprised that he didn't have the fitness to put his best foot forward in the final. I mean, that's a lot. That's, that's too much. That's a lot of sets of tennis in five days for someone who came into the match with only one match in the last couple of months. It was a big ask, but what might have even been a bigger ask is what Carlos Alcaraz did. We'll get to that in a minute, (laughs) but um, playing multiple matches in one day. But um, 
I, I think in terms of Rublev as an opponent, um, we talk a lot about the, the weak second serve that Rublev has. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about in general how the serve means less on clay. Well, that means if you have a weaker second serve, that also means less on clay because mm -hmm. it's just harder to put the ball away. And uh, yeah, you can go for a big return on a weak second serve, but, you know, there's a good chance that the guy's going to get to it. So um, that actually, we, we tend to think of Rublev as a more fast court, hard court player, but that actually, that weak second serve doesn't hurt, as, hurt him as much on clay. Completely agree. It's, it's a slow serve. He puts a lot of air under it, which is funny for a serve. It's like this slow loopy kicker and it bounces really high on clay. On a lower bouncing court, certainly on grass or a lot of hard courts, that's going to be a really easy meatballish sitting second serve on clay where the ball bounces high. That can be kind of weird and difficult to handle. Novak was a little bit flummoxed on what to do here. He moved back like way back a couple of times and, you know, that that did the trick of kind of starting the point at neutral, no doubt about it, but he could never really step in and hurt Andre off that second serve return. Cause I, I never felt like his contact point was manageable. I thought it kept getting above his shoulders and he was reaching for it a little bit. And then if you stand in on top of the baseline where Djokovic usually likes to stand and you don't hit a great return, now you're in trouble especially if it's on Rublev's forehand, he has open court. You're not in a good position defensively. So I felt like Novak was getting hurt. One of the set points in the second set, Rublev serve plus one forehand winner on a second serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually like what, what uh, Djokovic was doing against Hachinov in the prior match. I saw him moonball a couple of returns. Um, and it's amazing, like how that can neutralize on clay. Um, you you never really think of Djokovic as being a, a moonballer in that way, but I, you could tell that he was playing around with some tactics um, that he's probably just getting his his feet under him and getting in his mind how he wants to approach this clay season. And of course, every clay surface is a little bit different. Madrid is certainly different. Um, and then, you know, on the drop shot and uh, he used it effectively. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see the stats on drop shots, but I just know from the eyeball test that Djokovic used the drop shot fairly effectively throughout the tournament. And I think he'll need to do that again, going forward. He'll need to find his feel because he, he cannot grind you know, at his age, he cannot grind his way through clay season and then on into Roland Garros. He's going to have to employ the serve plus one, the runaround forehand and the drop shot. Yeah, I think there he needs to get to a point where if he needs to grind, he can. Um, but he doesn't have to do it point in and point out because those weapons are, are helping him. And yeah, I, I think the drop shot, if they play again, I feel like there's a lot of little small details that Novak can handle better that maybe he couldn't handle in this match. Cause he was either tired or more worried about his own level. But like one is 
he got burned on a couple of drop shots where he was going to Rublev's forehand side and Rublev would keep his forehand grip and whip it cross court for a winner from a low contact point. He can't go down the line on that shot uh, based on where the contact point is. And the fact that he keeps his forehand grip, every player goes cross court and Novak just didn't anticipate it. He got beat twice for a winner there. And uh, I think the drop shot's such a good play against Rublev, especially if you get it to the backhand side where you need to force him to play with the continental grip where his feel isn't that good. I, I think he could have used it more actually in this match. That's a really good observation. I mean, that's uh, looking at the grip on a couple of those shots. Good for you, Gil. <laughs> I, I remember one of those specifically, and I thought that was just a good shot. Like he caught it just right and he got mm -hmm. it up and down. And, and I don't know if, if that shot is played 10 times, if Rublev makes that shot every time, but you make a good point. And he, he knew enough not to change his grip to continental and to rip it. So um, that's really interesting, but yeah, I'm sure that Novak will make the adjustment, but just generally speaking, and, and I think I mentioned it on our last podcast, he's got to get more off of his first serve, Djokovic does, um, maybe not free points, um, but discounted points, you mm -hmm. know, um, I think his, in this match, and it's kind of wonky because the, um, the third set was a bagel. But in this match, he put the first serve in 63% of the time. That is right in the wheelhouse. That's perfect. Um, but he only won 58% of his first serve points. So it's just getting to neutral. And um, he needs to be dominating on that just so that he doesn't wear himself out. Yeah, especially against Rublev. He's not playing Diego Schwartzman or Nadal, who's going to definitely you know steal a lot of first serve points. Against Rublev, you have to... That, that number does definitely have to be better. Um, so I agree with the first serve. Uh, that my other kind of note for, for Novak is, uh, was he not scared enough of the forehand? Uh, I think we see him a lot of the time play these really, really aware and almost very uh, cerebral baseline rallies over and over again against certain players. And I... I just thought Rublev's forehand made a big imprint on the match and it's so phenomenal. It's such a great weapon on clay. I, I wasn't sensing that focus or emphasis by Novak to, to make Rublev beat him with the backhand, which was surprising. I think we typically see that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there were a couple of points, key points where I thought Novak was playing back and making shots he I you can't say he was pushing but he was not um taking control he was playing neutral just as you said he wasn't mm -hmm. taking control first and if you do that against Rublev then eventually you're going to get the <laughs> you know, if we're, incidentally, Rublev is, is one of those players that um, sometimes he grunts and sometimes you, he doesn't. And that kind of tips you off as to how hard the ball is going to be coming at you. Because if he doesn't grunt, that's the time to possibly move in and take control. If he does grunt, then get on defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, you got to make Rublev defend. Uh, elite when he's on the attack, elite from neutral, 
not the greatest defender on tour and he's not bad, but you know, he's, he's not, he's not great. So you have to make him defend. So I, I agree that, that Novak was a little bit passive here. Uh, but you know, as much as his fitness faltered, Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply what he showed was a big improvement from Monte Carlo last week in the fitness department. So to me, you know, it's already kind of positive signs showing that he's trending to getting fully fit in time for when he needs to be, which is Rome and Monte Carlo, sorry, Rome and Roland Garros. And, um, you know, just because on the fifth day of match play, um, he, didn't have anything left at the very end. And, you know, it's his fault for losing all those first sets, really. Uh, That doesn't mean that there weren't big strides in the fitness category this week. Absolutely. And he kind of got unlucky, as it turns out, with the Monte Carlo draw because Davidovich Fakina ends up making the finals. So he was obviously in form. Um, But it all worked out in the end because he got plenty of tennis in this week. Absolutely. Um, You know, I'll just go ahead and say it, Gil, because I I do call it like I see it. Um, There's a lot of talk about COVID, long COVID and all that. None of that is proven. None of it. And we saw so much good play out of Novak this past week. So many great points. Um, So many times where he had to dig himself out, you know, facing break point. Um, I think that overall, the, the, uh, outlook for Novak is really good and, and he'll especially enjoy some time off this week. Yeah. I mean, if, if Novak didn't look so strong physically, so much stronger physically against Jera and Ketsmanovich, then you could have a, a much stronger argument that something is up or something is wrong. But again, like it's not surprising that someone who is, you know, un- undercooked on match play. And then, you know, I- I've also seen Amy, well, he had three months to train and get ready. He's 34 years old. There's no major on the horizon. He's out of competition. Do we think, you know, he's putting himself through like uh, a hard three month training block uh, with a high intensity, no way. And it wouldn't be smart for his body to, to do that. So it's just, there's no way those three months looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger in, <laughs> in the gym. Okay. That's not what this was. So uh, I, again, I don't think it's surprising and I don't think there's long-term concern. And yeah, the, the COVID thing, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, um, 
if you play competitive tennis at any level, you understand the difference between playing practice sets till you're blue in the face versus real actual competition. And it's, it's a muscle that will atrophy if you don't play in real competition that counts uh, for a long time. I mean, that's just the way it is. Nobody's ever really been able to figure it out. It's probably a brain thing, but that's just the way it is. And um, if you're if you're out of competition, then um, that's going to affect your level and there's no substitute. Yeah, you're right. And every every player says that all the time. Rod, Andy Roddick's been shouting that from the mountaintops. Novak needs matches. He needs matches. Um, maybe it's nerves, but who knows? Um, let's address this other final today. Barcelona Alcaraz wins another. Uh, he continues to uh, have a very similar trajectory as Nadal in, in 2005, but uh, he's also overtaken Novak in the latest odds for Roland Garros. I, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. That's where the betting market is at. I think we should mention that. And uh, I'm wondering what you think of that. Last night, a friend texted me that Alcaraz and Novak were tied for second in the betting odds for Roland Garros. Now, this is early days, like we're, we're halfway through the clay season. Um, I was shocked. Nadal's the favorite, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought if Novak loses and Carlos wins, then he'll overtake Novak. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, a couple of things. First of all, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and we've got a couple of Masters 1000s coming up. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Secondly, um, Carlos is, is a little taped up right now. So he needs to, I think, get with his team and pace himself because um, he needs to stay healthy so that he's in peak form for the big prize. Um, I mean, if I were him, I would drop out of Madrid, but I'm sure he won't. Um, and then also this is bulletin board material for Novak. I mean, he'll, he'll get wind of it somehow that, that um, he's not the number two favorite to win Roland Garros and, and we'll see, but look, Carlos is in fine form. I mean, he didn't have an exhaustion problem and he played a, barn burner against um Demonor today and then he comes out and makes it easy pickings off of uh pcb so um mm -hmm. we'll 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 see but i do think that that is very intriguing yeah it's it's interesting i mean look my view is this is a guy in alcaraz who has been undervalued in said odds for the vast majority of the season and uh, i think a lot of people who, who are into that stuff, uh, who I think are on it, uh, took that number when, when Alcaraz was still the fifth or the sixth or the 10th favorite after the Australian Open or something. But obviously that number's long gone. Now I think he's overvalued. Um, you know, but, but there's a lot of hype. Uh, one thing about, about these futures is that if, the, if their odds are too, um, if their odds are too low, that's what hurts the books. Always something good to keep in mind. If their odds are too high, like let's say Alcaraz should not be uh, the, uh, I think he's plus, let me just check real quick. He is plus uh, 260. 
let's say that's not a good number for them. Uh, the, the sports books don't lose money from that. They actually, it's actually the better who then takes the liability if it's a bad bet. <laughs> Big surprise. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I, I always like to explain that because sometimes people are like, what the heck? Like last year, team was way too, his odds were ridiculous. He had not played a match and the odds had him as like, like he could win the French and obviously he's he high again. Did you yeah. see that? He's too high He's, again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's because they know that some people maybe who don't pay enough attention are going to throw money there. And mm. as long as they can take money, they're happy. So <laughs> the only way they bump down the odds is if they feel like nobody's betting the number because uh, they do want people to bet. Um, anyway, it's uh, that's it's an interesting thing to uh, keep an eye on. Uh, Alcaraz, though, he doesn't... Um, yeah, I mean, th there's so much more for us to see. The sample size is minuscule, and that's why, I mean. And we're talking best of five. I mean, that's yeah. why I think he's he's over, a little bit overvalued because um, we've seen such great players, Zverev, Rublev, you know, Berrettini, um, but, but best of five is a different um, animal. And we're gonna have, that's not saying that Carlos can't do it, but we're gonna see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. We're not concerned about his physical endurance, right? No, I mean, just he, he just again, like I'm. Maybe it's the mother in me, but I don't want these guys playing too much. And this was a big week for Alcaraz. Like he really had to bust. And um, like I like I said, I, I would love to see him just take a couple of of tournaments off if he's going to play Rome. I would love to see him skip Madrid, but that's not going to happen. He's Spanish. <laughs> you know? no uh, way. <laughs> wait a second, though. Remember how the year started with him not going to Australia until the Australian Open because he, he got COVID and his team was like, you know what? We need a real proper offseason. And COVID already ate like a, a week or two weeks. So we're not going to we're not going to play those early tournaments, which was an awesome decision. Right. So maybe he does have a team that is going to be, and we'll see as we move forward, that will be kind of eager to manage his workload. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I agree with you that that would be smart and that he should consider skipping Madrid. Yes, totally. Um, and what about Nadal? Yeah. So uncle Tony came out this week and said, Oh, he'll play Madrid. Uh, but he's com not confirmed, and um, there have been some pundits and broadcasters say that if he just this past week got back out on court, which he um, posted some photos to social media indoors on a clay court saying, I've just now got back out on court, it, seeing him play N Madrid seems like a stretch. Hmm. I don't know, because uh, I wonder what he was able to do besides hit tennis balls when he was out with the hip. Um, and I think that might affect things. Like, was he was still it, able? Was it a hip or was oh, it? Oh, sorry. Rib, rib, rib. rib, rib. I, yeah. I got my uh, torso parts <laughs> confused. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Um, I could make a joke, but I, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and think about it though. If it's your rib, you got a coil, you know, yeah, on, the, yeah. on the ground stroke. So, and even on the volleys and, and even on the serve. So I don't know what he could do, you know, calf well, I, I, I don't, 
I don't know. Yeah. I, for me, I think Madrid would be a stretch, but who okay. knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uncle Tony says he intends to play and then all the clickbait uh, outlets went with that. And, you know, that's not really committal by, by Tony. So we'll see what happens. I mean, the interest, look, I think it would be good if he plays, but at the same time, we know that Madrid conditions wise doesn't simulate Roland Garros and therefore is a great tournament that matters a lot. But if we're framing it in the context of what's going to happen at the French, then it's not as important. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and, and Uncle Tony, by the way, he's not even on Nadal's team, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. is he still working with FAA? I don't yes. know. He, he, is. Is, he, is, he is. So what's he doing talking about this? You know, for all we know, it's strategic for, for FAA. But um, Rafa will, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's been in this position before. I mean, people forget there have been years where he's had a lot of injuries and has barely played the, the clay season in the run-up to Roland Garros and then gone on to do just fine. Yeah, well, well, let's end on this. Someone made a great point that it was potentially a blessing in disguise that Nadal didn't play Barcelona because as we've hinted at, the schedule was a total disaster because of the rain, you know, and, and the semifinalists and the finalists, which presumably Nadal would have been had he been healthy, uh, they had to play two matches today and it, it just, it wasn't ideal for, for anyone, but it especially wouldn't have been ideal for Nadal. That is a great point. I didn't even think of that. Um, yeah. And, and being that he likes his routines and he likes to know roughly what time he's playing and that kind of thing, it would have driven him absolutely crazy. And uh, that's not the type of conditions. It was cool. That's not the type of conditions to play when you're coming off an injury. Yeah. Uh, shout out to David Ferrer. Excellent job uh, directing the tournament. Just have to throw that out there um, with mm -hmm. all the, the craziness. So, uh, yeah, uh, interesting week for Djokovic. A lot of great matches. Good to see him back um, again and actually making a run this week. And uh, congrats to Alcaraz on the title as well. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of 3.